Welcome to Beyond the Roadmap, Product Talk with AWH, a podcast for product people, by product people. Join us as experts share their experiences and expertise to help you build great products. This is Ryan Frederick, and this is Beyond the Roadmap, a podcast about building products and product management. And today I have Ryan Siemens with me. And uh, Ryan and I um, actually don't know each other super well, and in fact, not well at all, because I just cold emailed Ryan on LinkedIn and said, hey, do you want to jump on a podcast and, and do an episode? And we chatted back and forth about some topics. Um, so Ryan, I appreciate the willingness to, you know, trust, you know, th- that we would have an interesting, you know, valuable conversation and I appreciate you taking the time to do it. Yeah, for sure. Glad to be on. So when we first started, um, well, before we jump into it, why don't you take like 30 seconds to give people, um, a little bit of Ryan background. So they have a little bit more context of where some of your perspectives are coming from. For sure. Yeah. So my name is Ryan Siemens. Um, I started my product career. I had a technical undergrad and started my product career at LinkedIn. Um, that's where I first kind of got into product management, and I worked on the first internal version of what today is LinkedIn Learning. Uh, so I launched that, built the team. That's where I got Scrum Master certified and got exposed to a lot of Agile and, and uh, Scrum. I was then the director of product at a startup called Degreed. I uh, was there from Series A through Series C, and then left to co-found my own company, uh, called Sprintwell, uh, and our goal is to help get ideas out of people's heads and into the world and, and teach and work with teams to help them prototype and move fast. Uh, a, l- a lot of what we do uh, touches on agile mindset and, and mechanics. Uh, so yeah, that, that's a bit about me. That's awesome. Thanks. And that's a good segue as you ended there into um, at least the start of, of the conversation, because when, when we were messaging back and forth about what we were going to talk about, Agile came up as, as, you know, one of the topics and sort of a focus area. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, you know, not an enormous Agile fan and in, in, in that I will often, you know, find myself, you know, trying to get people to, to not, because I, I, I don't like it when people use a methodology and it becomes a crutch. And, yep. and then yep. they end up bastardizing it and they end up sort of, validating their bastardization of it, you know, because, you know, it has to, you know, work for their organization, et cetera. And so I just see Agile being misused so often and it not really remaining you know, what it was meant to, to be and, and do in its purest form at the outset. So I often refer to it as um, a sort of irrelevant, you know, piece of, of the puzzle because I think that most really good product companies and and really good product teams don't necessarily need a development methodology to to tell them how to approach the development you know process as part of uh, as part of product so how do you sort of think about agile and and what's your sort of view of the fact that it's you know it's gotten certainly, you know, wide adoption and, and it has a lore around it now, you know, with countless, you know, books and content and consulting firms and consultants, et cetera. How do you sort of view Agile and, and its benefits and, and maybe some of its negatives? Sure, Ryan, and it sounds like we're probably pretty 
aligned on our perspective of Agile. For me, often, so there's a few things that I, I think people struggle with when it comes to Agile. One is when a lot of people say Agile, what they really mean is Scrum. And when they, when they talk about Scrum, it's these mechanics, right? We're going to do a planning meeting, and then we're going to have a daily check-in, and we have got a backlog, and it has to be uh, estimated out with the Fibonacci sequence points, and, and all these things that are are easy to do because you can look and go, ah, there's like a simple checklist that I can do. And it, it comes down to this core truth that so many people in life are looking for a checklist to success. And the sad truth is that's just not often how it works. Uh, and a big reason for that is I believe that you need mechanics and mindset put together. And so when you think about not just what am I doing, but why am I doing it? And that's a lot harder to get. That comes with experience. Um, that, that's not just something you can pick up a checklist and do. And so when you, when you look at Agile, I'm a huge fan of what originally was talked about, the original intent, which is you know, focusing on individuals and interactions um, instead of on the process, uh, focusing on actually shipping meaningful value to customers uh, instead of just shipping feature after feature that maybe doesn't doesn't work and embracing change and realizing we're going to fail and, and designing your process for that. All of this was built with the idea of autonomous teams. So the irony is, as most firms try to quote unquote scale agile, uh, they do it so poorly because they miss the fundamental core truth that agile is about empowering individuals to make choices about what's best for them and their customers as they build. And, and so when you lose that, uh, that's why for me, a, a topic that I talk about often is pointless. And it's that agile, not that agile is pointless, but the way most companies and teams start to implement it, especially at scale, ends up being pointless. And I think story points are a perfect example of something that uh, is, is for most teams that you say, why do you do this? And, and ultimately, as you dig in, they really can't answer. It's like, well, I don't know. We're just supposed to do this thing. And it's not actually helping them build better software for customers. Yeah, I totally agree. The, the the original tenants of of agile, you know, mostly get lost, you know, through the process, and you know, and some of them maybe are so rudimentary and and commonsensical that that's why it's easy for you know the the original tenants to to get overshadowed. You know, you're you're supposed to you know a customer is supposed to have a seat at the table as part of a really small dynamic agile team and how often do you really see that especially as 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 you said as as companies try to scale scale agile then they have somebody representing the voice of the customer right and yeah and so even just around the customer sort of participation piece they've already gotten so disconnected from the purpose and the value of that that the voice of customer being a representation that's there is at best maybe lukewarm and at worst maybe harmful. Yep, t totally agree. It reminds me of some some research. So Heaton Shaw uh, is a friend of mine, big fan of the work that he does in the product world. And he surveyed uh, product managers. And one of the questions he asked was, is talking to customers part of your job description? Like, is this something you do day in, day out? And almost half of the product managers who responded said, no, this isn't, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to do that. And, and that's alarming. Like if you're going to build products, you need to be intimately familiar with your customers. And if you ever get disconnected, it's super easy to forget what they need. And, and we just start filling in the gaps with some really bad assumptions. We're, we as human beings, we're so awful at predicting what others want and, and frankly, what, what we ourselves want. And that's why 
uh, practices like prototyping and user testing and talking to users. And uh, that's why those things are so important. And again, all of those things, sadly, aren't really a core part of what many companies call Agile. Yeah, it's also interesting that even though Agile you know, teams are, are really you know, supposed to reflect almost like an, a Navy SEAL team in that you, you know, you, you've got, you know, an engineer and a UX person and, you know, a product manager, et cetera. Agile teams as companies implement it and try to scale it aren't that agile, aren't that nimble, aren't that small, aren't that dynamic. And so it becomes really an implementation of them mostly saying, well, we're just going to work in, in two week sprints. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and then that becomes their sort of representation of agile. And again, I think similar to your point, you know, earlier of story points and saying, well, why are you doing this? Most people then can't tell you why they're even delivering and, and why they're approaching the work in two week sprints other than, you know, that's what they're supposed to do in a tenant of, of, of agile. So it, it's, you know, I guess it's human nature to fundamentally, you know, begin to shift away from the the fundamental principles of something, you know, to then, you know, accommodate it to our, our own needs. But I think, you know, Agile's lost a lot of its teeth, you know, because of that. And then it becomes, and then I think many organizations get disappointed because they, they implement Agile because they think it's going to make them better product. And then when Agile doesn't make them better at product, then they're, there's a lot of you know disappointment and and sort of angst around okay well what do we do now yep t t totally and completely agreed it's sad to see and i think i mean I, I it's easy to pick on but it's because it's true safe i think is the worst thing companies could do I, i've never seen it work in all the companies that i've consulted with it always becomes just a i mean it, it's waterfall with agile terms put on top of it and companies like that because it means they won't have to change that much it's like oh we can still kind of be in control and still know what's going on and still kind of do our yearly budget planning but the irony is again that's not what agile is and you're going to keep going slowly missing deadlines not delivering software that really solves real needs even though hey it's easy to implement right well i think one area of of confusion that often comes up too is Agile and, and Scrum have this concept of a, of a product owner and the, this role. It's not just a concept. Um, right. and, and, and some people confuse product owner with product manager. How do you define them as different and how do you practically see them as different? Yeah, great question. So, and, and th this to me is important because, uh, and especially lately, I feel like uh, just in the past maybe year or two, I feel like we're continuing to gain steam and there are more and more people talking about this and publishing on this. And even just this past week, I saw someone publish an article answering this question and I think they got it fundamentally wrong. Like it's obvious they don't know what the difference is. And I was like, oh, great. You know, now, now we're having many authorities come up who are actually telling, they don't even understand the origins of these, these terms. So product owner is a, as you said, a role on a scrum team. It's, uh, and it has a, a certain set of, activities that you do and, and a role within the team. And it's it's especially on representing the customer and organizing the backlog uh, is, is the, the purpose, the original intent of the product owner. So it's very much backlog management. Product manager is a job. And a lot of what product managers encompass, uh, the, the, a sliver of that is the product owner role, potentially, although it doesn't have to be. But the product manager is a job, product owner is a role. And so for, for me, as I work with teams, Often, if, if someone is really implementing product owner, 
you're going to have some challenges because typically you're, you're getting away from the team functioning as an entire product team. And it's more, ah, we're siphoning through a person, uh, which can, can work okay for some teams, but you're missing out on some of the benefits of the entire team being close to the customer. And then the, the, the worst cases I see, someone says, oh, we've got a product manager and a product owner, and the product manager is outward facing, the product owner is inward facing, and handoffs are a recipe for disaster. You're going to do, handoffs for me are the, the canary in the coal mine of teams that move slowly and don't ship what customers want. And a product manager and a product owner is, is the first huge way teams start implementing handoffs where someone's going out there and learning, they're coming back and telling someone who then turns around and tells developers. It, it really makes no sense and, and both in saying that and in how it's practiced in a lot of places leads to a lot of frustration. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that, that and maybe some of the confusion and, and poor implementation around it comes from the fact that, that for many organizations, they were exposed to product owner before they were ever exposed to product management. And yeah. product management is then sort of fighting, you know, a, a, a little bit of an entrenched uphill battle to educate and to get into a position of understanding and value, you know, not necessarily against, but at least um, juxtaposed against product owner. Yeah, I agree with some, uh, there's a specific client that I was working with a while ago who was really, some of the leaders were having a tough time just with the phrases. We had to multiple times go over what these roles are. They said, oh, we're going to make product owners. And we talked about what they wanted them to do. I said, ah, actually, those are product managers. Product owners are all in Scrum and you're not even quite using Scrum. Okay, okay. And they started calling a product manager for a few days. And then a couple of weeks later, they were back on, well, no, it's, it's really product owner. And it's hard because internally, some companies, yeah, this is a part of, you know, they've been using this term now for a, a decade to kind of mean someone who tells people what to build. And which is just, again, it, it, it's a horrible practice. And this is, I think that for, for me, there's one thing that I keep coming back to. It is that the mindset today that it takes to build great products uh, without burning out, without a lot of friction in the process is fundamentally at odds with how most teams used to function. And, and that's, that creates a lot of challenge. And the approach then, uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan then of, as you, if you want your organization to reap the benefits of Agile, again, I'm, I'm, I really don't like Agile transformation. The iron, again, ironic top-down Agile transformation, it can't work because the whole purpose of Agile is to not be top-down and not have everyone telling everyone, leaders telling everyone else what to do um, in terms of how to implement. But as, as you step into, if you want the benefits of Agile, you need to think about the mindset, first and foremost, of your leadership team and how they even think about success, how they are rewarded, and, and then same thing for the actual teams on the ground. And that mindset shift is something that most Companies that help people implement big, large-scale agile transformations aren't really even equipped to think about, much less help them walk through. Yeah, well, and those those companies, you know, that are doing sort of the agile transformations, you know, often big consulting companies that, in many cases, their consultants have never actually been part of building a successful product. So, yep, yep, we uh, just just a couple months ago. Um, there's a team that I'd worked with on a small scale. They were doing a large scale transformation. Um, they chose a typical big name consulting company because, quote unquote, the uh, executive team was familiar with them and liked them. 
And then they did the playbook they always do. They did a six month research effort where they interviewed a bunch of people at the company and most of the people doing the interviews had never worked on a product team and weren't even familiar, weren't even scrum certified to say the least, even though I don't think that's, that's great. The one person involved in the whole process that was familiar, there was a partner I think who has a good thought leader on it, but he wasn't involved. And the one person who was involved uh, that, that knew product was a six month veteran of a team. Uh, so, you know, a very, very junior person who was in some of the interviews kind of guiding some of this. So, I mean, the blind leading the blind, you know, it, it makes no sense. People internally knew this, but again, it, it's this perception of, oh, if we're going to do this big thing. We've got to get this big consulting company in and, you know, pay them. I'm sure they paid them over a million dollars to, to quote unquote research all of this. Um, and they ended up telling them a lot of things that many of the champions of these methodologies and champions of these ideas internally already knew what we're saying. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a sad thing for me to see companies wasting money, time and energy um, trying to figure out how to do this. But again, it's, it's not as simple as a set of practices. It is a mindset and a culture shift. And that's just very different than a lot of what companies have thought about trying to do in the past. Yeah, I, I start to get concerned when certifications start popping up around things. <laughs> yes. You know, and, and so when, you know, when Scrum certification, you know, became a thing, I started to get really concerned about uh, about Scrum and then and, and then Agile, you know, in, in part because these things are not, there's just as much art to these as there is science as in creating anything is and and i don't think this is is comparable to like a lawyer with continuing education right and certifications and and a cpa you know i think that there now i do think that there are that product is a discipline and it's a practice etc but when I when I see certifications starting to pop up around things, that tells me that it's that it's like across the threshold into where companies are trying to um, are, are trying to put something in a box and really define it very definitively, and then that's where I think you know we 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 start to get into trouble and and it's on a slippery slope. Yeah, for sure. It's hard because the marketing of that is super easy. It's easy for people to look at and go ah. I'm going to get certified. People will recognize me for this. It's easy for companies to sell. Um, but but I agree. It's kind of this. There, there is some science to it, but there's a lot of art to it. And for, for me, the job of a product manager and building products on a product team is much more about concepts that are hard to certify, like empathy and influence uh, and curiosity. Like you can't certify those things. I mean, you can you can teach those things, I think, through apprenticeship and helping people to understand how these things are done, but that's not going to happen in a two-day, you know, scrum at, at a hotel. Um, and I, I, so I was scrum certified was one of my first introductions to product. And then I went and I made a whole bunch of horrible. I mean, I look back and I made some horrible mistakes early on in my product career that I just didn't know what I was doing. And it's because scrum isn't enough. Again, the, the, the things that scrum advocates for aren't even bad in and of themselves. If a team, I mean, we, we need to plan. I think a demo is a cool thing. I think retroing is an awesome practice for teams. But when you have a draconian view of, ah, this is exactly how we have to do these things. Um, and you don't give the teams autonomy to adjust scrum. I think the original intent of scrum was even never to be this hard and fast set of rules uh, sure. that it's become. Yep. Um, and, and that just, yeah, it just makes it makes it hard. But it's also sad because as individuals, we like the idea of certification because what are we what are we buying? Well, we want to be seen and recognized and promoted. And, and so it's sticky. There's a lot of stickiness factor to a lot of this. But 
sadly, the one thing that we would hope it do, which is drive product growth and help teams build without burning out. Um, and actually, you know, it's not the complete solution to that. Yeah, and development methodologies, which and, and Agile's not really supposed to be, you know, just a development methodology, given the fact yes. that the customer's there and you've got a designer there, and you know, and, and it is truly, again, in its purest form, supposed to be about building the the most the simple, most elegant solution at every step, you know, iteratively with with the customer, but it really evolved into being a development methodology where IT departments could lean on it to say, this is how we're going to approach our engineering operation. Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and, you know, and I get why they, they, they want that sort of, you know, um, guidebook, right, to how to approach their development and engineering operation. But, you know, in the end, I'm not sure that, that we really need development methodologies as, as much as, as, we just need engineering to be in alignment with product and product design and in sort of the true essence of, of agile versus agile mostly becoming just a development methodology for companies to be able to point to the fact that they're now managing their engineering operation better, presumably and different than they were before. Yes. Well, it, uh, I, I love that you say this. It reminds me uh, as I, I think about what are the worst frustrations uh, that product managers and or product owners face? And I, I saw this recently, someone asked that question of, of a pretty large group. And you know that the, the answer that got the most upvotes where people said, yeah, that is my, my annoyance. The person said that they, they were frustrated because they were lied to by 99% of companies out there that said they were quote unquote customer centric and that they practiced real agile. But then when they joined, they found out that's not actually the case. And that's really frustrating to come in and have companies say, yeah, 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 voice of the customer. We're obsessed. We only build, you know, yeah, you have autonomy. And then you get in and that's just not how it's going. And, and that's super frustrating, especially for product managers, because you are at the center of all this. Uh, there's this, we, we could go into it, but that, I think it's a myth that the product manager is a CEO. A lot of people are attracted to product management because they think they're going to be in control. They think, ah, I'm making all the decisions. And that couldn't be further from the truth. And that's why product managers are, are typically stressed out of their minds because they're at the center of this horrible tug of war over priorities of what are we going to build for who? And sales wants one thing, the developers want another thing, marketing says what they, you know, and support says this, and the CEO has a pet project. And you are the one who's kind of uh, doing riot control on this horrible, chaotic scene. And that's a really stressful position to be in. Uh, and it's hard because you also don't necessarily have the authority to fix it. Yeah, how have you seen organizations sort of evolve to move away from and to adopt a product discipline over what you know maybe has been you know an, a development you know driven culture and environment or maybe a design driven one or maybe a sales driven one? How have you seen companies? most successfully make that transition? Is it a top-down thing where somebody, you know, at a high level sort of gets it? Or is it, you know, some, you know, rebel with a cause, you know, that comes in and, and has enough success that then the, the rest of the organization sort of goes, ah, what that person did over there is what the rest of us should be doing. So, you know, let's all just, you know, learn from this person. Yeah, good, good question. And what's hard is it's not one size fits all, as I'm sure you know. Uh, it, there are different paths to success. 
Um, a couple of paths that I've, I've seen, um, I think uh, top down can work. The pitfall is it can't work if you're forcing it. It can work if you're setting up the environment for it. And bottoms up can work. But again, the pitfall is you do have to have someone at the top who's an advocate. You have to have someone at some point with some authority who says, ah, OK, I'm going to protect this and foster this and grow this. Um, the, the teams I've seen that have made this change best have started with small experiments. They start with a team. Like we call that a small hot fire. They get a team together that they say, look, we're going to carve out space and protect this team and try some different things out. And we're going to let them. Uh, it, the biggest thing is we're going to let them fail. That, that for me is the underlying issue with the way most teams implement any of this is they're not okay with teams failing. At the end of the day, they, they, they're not planning to fail. And the reality is most of the ideas you have and most of the things that you work on as a product team aren't gonna work. They're just, because you don't know, you're, you're venturing into the unknown. So if you plan that most of your ideas aren't gonna work, it fundamentally changes how you approach the work. Suddenly, your team has to get much more experimental. You have to stay much closer to customers to figure out, is this actually going to work? Is this what people want? Uh, and from a leadership standpoint, you can't be dictating ideas. You can't say, ah, I've got this great idea, we're gonna build this thing. But you have to realize your role is to set and establish vision and strategy. And frankly, most managers and executives have no idea what strategy is or how to implement it. Strategy is not a plan, it's a set of guides and metrics to help you make decisions about what you will and won't do. But most executives got there because they were good at ideas. They could implementing. They did that for years and years. And it, it's a very hard mindset shift. So the organizations that I've seen be successful start small, see some success there. They do have some rebels with a the cause. They have someone who advocates. And sometimes there's more more rebel, and sometimes there's more advocates at the top. Um, either can work, but but I think you have to start with those the what's working and then work to scale that up. And at the end, you do have to have a leadership mind, mindset shift. Uh, if you don't get your leadership bought in, especially middle management, uh, they are going to make it fail and they're going to go back to practices of command and control, top down, telling everyone what to do. And that's at odds with what great product teams do. Yeah, for sure. How much of, of you've referenced cultures and mindset a couple of times, how significant you know is that? And, and can an organization that does not have a product culture as part of its DNA, because we can, and I do this all the time, you know, when, when you know, I'm, I'm doing workshops and, and giving talks and, and when I, and I'll ask people, you know, you know, when they think of, of who the great product companies are, you know, who comes to mind and it's, and it's the same five or six, you know, all the time, um, yep. because everybody sort of in, instinctually knows th that, you know, those companies have product as part of their DNA, as part of their culture, and that's why they're recognized as the best product companies. And that's why startups are often better at product than, than enterprises. Um, yep. It's because when you're a startup, you don't have customers, so you have yep. to work with them very closely to build you know, a, a product that they value and that they will use. And then what ironically, what doesn't take very long typically is even for a startup that at the beginning has to, you know, sort of cherish, you know, the, the, the fundamentals of, of product dearly because they're trying to validate, you know, and, and serve customers and acquire customers. It doesn't take that long for a startup to even start migrating away from customers and to yep, start yep. getting insular. So 
how does a big company, you know, um, have any chance of that working if we're sort of by human nature wired to migrate away from customers, you know, not to customers? Yeah, that's a it's a a difficult challenge, a good question. And I mean, you know, the, the, I'm sure, you know, the ones that come up, right, Apple did this for years, you know, Steve Jobs was someone who, you know, for, for whether you think you did it the right way or the wrong way, built some things that people really, really enjoy and love. Um, Amazon obviously has carved out their own very interesting way of building business after business and, and focusing on solving customers' problems. Google to me is an interesting one because they've been successful, but when you look at their success, I mean, it's it was ads, right? I mean, they're still an ads company. Like that has enabled all the other things they've done. So part of me wonders how much they've actually focused on the customer versus just finding an idea that worked and paying for everything else using that idea. Yeah, I will say on uh, for Google, one of the things that, that they still do that I respect and that I think a lot more companies should um, follow their lead on is they will – now, this, this could be total you know, positioning sort of BS too. But when they come out with a new product, I mean Gmail had beta as part of the Gmail logo for something like seven years, clearly yeah, yeah. after the point that there were millions of people using it. And yeah, so when, yeah. when they come out with a new product, they will at least position to customers and users that it is in a beta stage and that they will be wrenching on the product, presumably looking at how users are using it to make you know future product enhancements decisions. But I think that's a good mindset for product people to have that and to be okay putting it out there and sort of taking, you know, um, removing the veil to say, you know what, this product is going to be a work in progress for mm, a pretty significant period of time as we figure out what works, what doesn't work well, what you guys value, how we reduce friction and all of that. So that's one thing that I think Google has added to the product space that more people should take a cue from. Yeah, love it and a great point because that is a fundamental mindset that a lot of companies struggle with. Again, they're not planning to fail or they don't say, yeah, we're testing and iterating on this. So love it. One thing I will say in terms of companies that are doing this successfully, another one that comes to mind is Slack. Um, if anyone who's listening hasn't read their article, we don't sell saddles here. Um, you know, core product article about working your way into solving a customer problem, right? Slack didn't start as a chat app. A gaming studio. They were something. They were doing something fundamentally different, and then found out. Oh, hey, we have this problem. Oh, others have this problem. Hey, we should build this thing. Um, and so I, I really like that approach. As we talk about all of this, it comes back to one of the most famous but misunderstood models for innovation, um, or models that talks about innovation, which is the innovator's dilemma. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Clayton Christensen, who passed away re recently. But his the the innovator's dilemma talks about exactly what, what you're, you're getting at, Ryan, that as companies become more successful, they get away from their customers. And so they start doing things and shipping things that are incrementally valuable to customers, meaning, yeah, you're not, you're not touching on any major difference to me now. And what they need to do is invest in things that look terrible and stupid and dumb because innovation at the beginning looks dumb. It's like, why would you do that? This is harder to do, costs a lot, like, we can't make as much money doing this, but those are the exact types of things that as they, as they catch, as that te new technology comes up, they enable the disruption to happen. And so many companies don't have that as part of their DNA. 
I think many are trying to build that. They'll have emerging technology teams. They'll carve out venture operations that are separate from the company. I think those are all good efforts. I think the challenge is, again, it, for me, it comes back to mindset. And like you said, Google does and has encouraged this mindset in the world, this mindset around experimentation, failure, and how and when to embrace it. And it's just these very different muscles than what it takes to run something at scale. And so you, your company needs to be able to flex into these things or figure out a way to get these ideas in. Because the tough thing is it's also not a, not a one-size-fits-all solution, right? If you are a bank and you are working with larger systems that transfer money, you know, fail fast isn't going to be your motto for your team, or at least not in the same way it will be for a startup, right? You can't fail. It's not like, oh, let's just throw this out there. And yeah, if it doesn't work, people lose money. That's all good. Like, that's not okay. But you can find places where it is okay to fail. Or you can say, well, how, if we're going to fail, how might we fail? How, how could we enable that to be okay? Uh, we're going to do more testing ground. We're going to test early and we're going to put this out there. And here, here's how we're going to enable us to embrace failure. I think a lot of teams have a really tough time figuring out how to adopt that. Um, and that, that's one thing that, that uh, from, from my side, is we built Sprintwell that we've really enjoyed because our background is in both the HR side of things, the people development, and the product development, which is, is not an often uh, combined set of skills. And so for us, it's been fun to see the power when you work with teams and help them understand who they are culturally, setting team norms, some of these things that are a little more HR mushy-gushy stuff, but they're critical if you're going to set up good product practices uh, for your team to have the right mindset. Yeah, it is uh, product management and and product is sort of a, a discipline inside of a company is, is this weird cross-section of, you know, process and, and you know, discipline and being very scientific and then some very sort of mushy, gooey, you know, human factors that are hard yep. to hard to quantify necessarily. A friend of mine, you know, had a good sort of summarization of a principle around what makes you know, companies good at product. And he said the best product companies um, value learning over knowing. Mm. And that's why most you know, existing large enterprises aren't that good at, at innovation and new product because they value what they know over anything that they might learn. Mm. And when you Love think it. about it in that context, and when he said it, I was like, I think you just said something really profound. And I think that he did, because I think when you think about it in that context, it aligns, you know, really well because, you know, most legacy large companies are there to now protect what they have. Right. They're not incented, encouraged, motivated. They're not anything really inspired to go, you know, to learn new things and to take the businesses in, in new directions because they have a lot to they have a lot to lose and a lot to protect. And the best product companies are, are companies that haven't even been around that long, right? I mean, Amazon yep. still hasn't been around that long. Facebook yep. hasn't been around that long. And you have to sort of take out some of the moral things around, you know, companies mm -hmm. like Facebook and uh, and maybe Uber to an extent, although the, it seems like maybe they're through some of their um, ethical yeah. challenges. But you can't argue with the fact that Facebook is really good at product. Uber's really good at product. And they're really good at product because they care less about what they know than what they're learning through the process that then is informing their product yeah, I, I love that phrase and um, reminds me, maybe there's a story that I like to share. I'll, I can tell it briefly. 
to maybe help as people are listening and thinking about their own careers and their teams that, that typifies this idea of learning over knowing. So early in my product career, I, I as I said before, like I was Scrum certified. Um, I thought I was doing pretty well at, at, at what I was doing. And there was a day when my boss had a meeting with me. She came in and sat down and said, okay, Ryan, th this isn't going very well now. Like it was going well in the past and somehow things are different. And uh, I really, you know, I think we need to change some things. And I, I, she told me, she said, Ryan, I don't think you really have what it takes to be a product manager. And so I, I'm going to move you to another role in the team and, and we're going to put someone else in. Um, and so, I, yeah, we're going to change that up. And I was devastated. I mean, I, you know, I was, I was like, I had made my dream. Like, I'm going to build a product. I'm going to be a chief product officer someday. And, and I was devastated. I remember walking out of that meeting furious. Uh, and I don't know that she handled it that well uh, in terms of how she approached it. But but I and I was just like, who is she to tell me? What have you, I've been working so hard and all these things. Um, and I remember as I went home that night, I remember this moment. I'm sitting on the train, riding home in Silicon Valley. And I remember thinking, okay, Ryan, you have a choice to make right now. You can either be mad and angry and do you know change and move your own way, or you can look at the truth in what she said and admit that you don't know a lot about product and get to work learning. And I decided to embrace the question, well, what can I learn from this? And so that day was the day I committed myself to say, I'm gonna learn every darn thing I can about product. I'm gonna read every book, I'm gonna watch every, video i'm going to talk to every person i can about products so that i can get good at this i'm going to accept every opportunity that gets me closer to understanding how to build products that customers love and i did that and it, it took a while to get another product job and another product role and, and work through that and then i got another product job and then i got promoted to director of product and, and now I'm, I'm running product for my own company and for me i look back and i think all of this came because of that moment and looking back again i'm not i'm actually grateful for my manager who was willing to have a frank conversation because I did need to change some things. I think she, it probably wasn't handled in the best way uh, or communicated in the best way, but because I decided to embrace learning instead of being hurt over my current knowledge, it changed everything for me in my career. And I think that's the exact attitude, as you're saying, that makes for great product teams. You have to be comfortable with discomfort. You have to just realize whatever we know today is going to change and that's okay. And let's figure it out and learn together learners will win the future uh, and the companies that understand how to learn how to adapt and change that is what is setting companies and product teams up for success yeah so along that line of of sort of learning and and adapting where do you see product and and product management and agile sort of crossing and product managers being able to leverage agile so that it's you know beneficial and it's to their advantage even in a situation where Agile is the precursor to a product discipline and a product management practice at a company? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things that, that product managers can do to influence that. Number one is advocate for your team uh, and, advo and, and advocate for your team so that you can all advocate for the customer. It's easy to get sucked into, well, this is how we do Agile, so we have to do this but instead do everything you can to protect your team's autonomy. Because the difference between a team that's being whipped and forced into building a product versus a team who's inspired and feels like they can sit up in their chairs and say, yeah, let, let's do everything we can to find a way to build a product that someone cares about. 
that difference is is hard to quantify and and worth its weight worth its weight in gold it's it's very worthwhile so protect the team i think another thing you can do as a product manager is not be lazy it's easy to get out of practice talking to customers or to think like oh they won't let me right the sales team is kind of protecting customers this if you have to claw your way tooth and nail everything you can to talk to customers at least weekly ideally daily where you are listening to, talking with, interacting with, showing prototypes and ideas and listening to their challenges, asking and, and just having good conversations with customers. That will make a world of difference in how you approach not just the things you build, but also how you influence what happens internally to say, ah, well, here's why we're going to build this. So that's one of the biggest downsides is most product managers aren't equipping themselves with the knowledge or the, the ability to tell other stakeholders why we're building what we build. And so then you default to just the hippo prioritization, highest paid person. Uh, and, and so that, that gets tough. So those are the two things that I would immediately advocate, even regardless if you're in a, an agile system that is structured and strict and you feel like, man, this isn't great. Those are two things that I think product managers can work towards uh, that may not always make them popular with others, right? Because you're not going to be the yes person going along with everything, um, but they will lead to better success for you and your teams. If a company values Agile or any any other sort of methodology over product, can that company ever truly become a great product company? Yeah, I, I think it depends what you define as a great product company. I think, it, to me, it's incredible how some very large companies who have some very poor practices seem to have a lot of success. Um, and a lot of times, it's they found success at one point and they're, they're posting on you know, the product that they built. I think the, the teams that rule the day moving forward, more and more will be product-centric teams. And because product-centric equals customer-centric teams, building things people want. And I think Agile can be a good part of that. I think it's actually a good construct to be aware of, to be aware of some of the artifacts and to, say, and to view them less as we have to do this, this is our jail that we've built, and more as a toolbox to say, ah, here's some, here's some principles, some values, some concepts, and now let's let's use these as we will. I think that teams that blindly adopt methodology like Scrum or Safe, will, I, I'm with you. I think that they will they will never experience the success that they could if they gave their teams autonomy and focused on the customer rather than the process. In your mind, how does a, a product manager sort of? Uh evaluate a company you talked about this a little bit earlier that often you know product managers you know are sold a little you know a, a little <laughs> bit of a bill of goods right when they go into a company of oh yes we absolutely iterate closely with customers and um, oh yes we respect product um, how can they actually assess and and determine whether that's true and to and to, and to determine whether a company's culture and you know processes align with theirs to make it a good fit for a product person. Yeah, that uh, it's tricky to say the least, right? Because everyone you talk to is going to be incentivized not to tell you the truth because it, it's hard to admit like, yeah, this job sucks or yeah, this person's horrible to work with or work for. Uh, those aren't things you tell people you just met typically. These, these are kind of the dark secrets that we keep inside. Um, a couple of things that, that can be helpful, one, if you are able to talk to a customer of the company, that's awesome. And whether you know someone or you can ask that, you know, I, I, you won't necessarily 
especially at the more junior positions, be able to say, well, hey, I need to talk to some of your customers. Uh, can you give me some customers to talk to? But if there's a way that you can find someone who's a customer or recipient and say, what's that like? How, how does this go? Are you happy? Uh, then same thing with a developer. Uh, I love, when I've interviewed with companies, if you can find someone that, that you're connected to or that your second connection with that's a developer and really say, okay, how is this? And, and take them out for a coffee or, or have a quick, uh, informational chat, you know, 20 minutes just to say, hey, I'm just, I'm curious how this is going and, and be really pointed about questions and saying, like, what do you love about this? What doesn't go well about this? Like, how does Agile work? And, and see if you can get people to open up. Because it's also, the reality is every team has problems. Every company has issues. Even the companies that are doing this really well have challenges and, you know, people disagree and, and all that. But it, it's important to find out how true is this uh, because, the reality is most companies are, it's easy to talk about, it's very hard to do. It's easy to say, of course, yeah, we know what customers want. We're not influenced by sales. I mean, what product leader is gonna say? Actually, yeah, we're kind of a not customer-centric process and we just feel what sales tells us to them. Like, no one's ever gonna say that, even if that's completely true. But being a lot of happiness in, at, at work and fulfillment at work can come from understanding the, uh, understanding what the expectation is in terms of alignment and to be real with well what kind of what kind of product team are we and and if we are a feature factory let's admit that we build features we, we turn out with the CEO once and as long as we're all clear about that again I think it was a, a lower mindset to, to keep but the most frustrating part is if you don't admit that and you say no we're supposed to be changing the world and focusing on metrics and driving value for customers but now we're just building what everyone says when you're not aligned on that and you don't admit and say yeah here's where we're at and here's where we want to get uh, then, then it can get very frustrating. So, some some ideas. It's very tricky to know. Though. That's why it's one, a big frustration because it, it's hard to figure that out. Right. Um, I've got it, and I want to connect the dots on this this next point carefully uh, because there's there's some nuance to this. Um, I know a lot of of corporate innovation, you know, people and. By and large, most corporate innovation um, endeavors don't produce anything of, of substance and consequence. And so a few years ago, I at least figured out for myself what I, what I think the fundamental issue is, and that it's most of these corporate innovation operations don't understand product, they don't um, execute a product discipline, they don't have product management in the company at all, and certainly not part, as part of the in innovation you know, team and operation. And so then I coined and, and came up with the this, this simple perspective of, I don't think that you can be good at innovation if you're not good at product, because product is the execution capability underneath of, of innovation. And then similarly, I sort of look at Agile is the same way, but in a sort of a reverse uh, hierarchy in that Agile and Scrum are execution capabilities under product and under product management. Do you sort of see it the same way or do you think about it and see it differently than that? Yeah, I see that the same way. And I do think from the innovation team perspective, what's hard is people that are attracted to those positions love shiny objects, right? They, right. They're like, oh, I love the newest, coolest technology. And, you know, some innovation teams or emerging technology teams, their job is to, quote, unquote, go find the new innovation. And so they're playing around with all sorts of things. And there's a, there's a time and a place to be aware of new technology, for sure. But all too often, then they say, VR, cool, how are we going to use VR in our organization? Which is the exact wrong problem to ask. I mean, it's cool to be aware of VR, be familiar with what it is and what it does. 
um, and then say, well, what problems do our customers have? And, and to be aware so that you can then go, ah, given that problem, hey, here's an innovative solution that I think we could connect. But, but most emerging tech teams are far too focused on the shiny toy instead of being problem obsessed. And, and I agree that, again, I think Agile has a place. I think the constructs, the, the methodology, the ideas of tracking work in progress, making work visible, shipping incremental value, I think these things are good things as tools in your toolkit, not as a process or an approach to everything that guides everything. So yeah, I think these are maybe both on the, uh, if you had a continuum, you'd have emerging tech on one end, which is shiny toy syndrome. And then you have agile on the other end, which is like beating people over the head with a process. And ideally in the middle, again, you, you want to be aware of new innovations. You want to be aware of processes that can help move things forward. But in the middle is what, what I think you and I are saying, product approach is customer-centric, autonomous teams. Let's iterate and figure out where value is and, and make sure we're building things that customers actually find valuable and, and pay us for it and give us money for it, exchange value for it because they say, wow, this is really helpful and interesting and there's an approach that it makes is much more successful at that today than the old style of planning out for a year or two what you're building and then just mindlessly moving forward. If people want to get in touch with you, what's the, how can they do that? What's the best way? Yeah, you can find me on, I'm on LinkedIn often, uh, Ryan Siemens. Um, I also, you know, my website is ryansiemens.com. Um, I do a weekly newsletter that touches on a, a number of the mindset pieces that we've talked about here, focuses on uh, working with purpose uh, and joy. And, and I think a lot of what product management done well embodies is the principles that, that do that. And the, the last way people can connect with me is I have a product management oriented group that I've just recently started on Facebook. It's called Product Patterns um, and focused on uh, helping people adopt some of these mindsets and, and answer some of these questions I'm focusing with, on the mindset plus the mechanics of product management rather than just you know the, the raw mechanics that a lot of communities are focused on. Terrific. Well, thanks for uh, taking the time to uh, chat and appreciate it very much. Uh, enjoyed the conversation. I think that they're either fortunately or unfortunately, the principles of good you know, product manage management and being successful at product are not typically epiphanies. They're, they're, they're pretty sort of, um, you know, down to earth, you know, principles that, that anybody can uh, learn and, and adopt. And, and sometimes the most simplest things in business and in life are actually the hardest ones to execute on because we, you know, are complicated creatures and, and we tend to bring our human complication to very simple principles and, and ways to approach things. So that's where a lot of the work, you know, work in progress has to be, I guess. For sure, the people side of product is so critical, easy to talk about, very hard to do, but, but a, fun, a fun and rewarding place to be working and thinking about. Ryan, appreciate it, thanks very much. This is Ryan Frederick with AWH, and this is Beyond the Roadmap, a podcast about building products. We will see you next time. Need some help with product? AWH is a digital product consulting, user experience, and software development firm here to help you create great digital products. Check out www.awh.net or follow us on Twitter at awhnet to learn more.